Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. And so today we're going to open the word in Luke chapter 11 and verse 5. Just remind you, the first four verses of this is uh, Jesus sharing, uh, we call it the Lord's Prayer, but really the disciples came to Jesus in verse 1 and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, this is how you should pray. And so really it should be called the Disciples' Prayer because it's a prayer that the disciples were to pray. I mean, Jesus is not going to ask the Father for, for forgiveness, is he? Um, uh, because he was perfect. He was sinless, which is in the Lord's Prayer. So it wasn't a prayer for the Lord. It was a prayer for the disciples. And so this is the context in which we now see the parable following straight on the heels of Jesus teaching his disciples the, the Lord's Prayer in the first four verses. So Jesus said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Verse 9. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. And he doesn't stop there. He carries on. And as he began with our Father who is in heaven, he again finishes on this short section of teaching on prayer of bringing the fatherhood of God into it. And he says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? This is some kind of father from a horror movie, Stephen King movie, I think. Verse 13, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Lord, we just pray as we unfold the word this morning that you would speak clearly into our hearts, that you would encourage us in this relationship of prayer, that you would encourage us, Lord, of keys of the kingdom that have been given to us through your son Jesus, that Lord, you would turn us into prayer warriors that see incredible answers from heaven being poured out upon the earth in this season and in this time. We thank you, Lord, that you've chosen to place us in the historic timeline on earth at such a time as this. So, Lord, as we come and approach your word, we pray, let it be food for our soul. Let it be bread for our life. And may it speak to our hearts today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So, let's just put this in the context of today, because we kind of don't really get and understand 
this parable unless we understand Middle Eastern tradition. You know, let's just say Pastor Phil, who's been going up to Indonesia for 30 years, and one of his longtime friends from Indonesia turns up unexpectedly at his house uh, at midnight, and all the shops are closed, which is typical New Zealand. His friend's hungry. He's been traveling for many days. So he says, I know what I'll do. Viv's always got bread at her house. I'll go over to Kumu. So at 11.30, he drives over to Kumu, arriving at midnight, and starts banging on our door. All my sons are staying at home. Everyone's asleep. And I hear this banging on the door. And I yell out through the window, go away. He says, oh, it's Phil. Have you got any bread? All the shops are closed and Chris has got no flour. And we have an important guest. Not that Chris is about to get up and bake bread at midnight. He's hungry. And I say, Phil, everyone's asleep. Go away. Come back tomorrow. But Phil's determined and he keeps knocking until I get up and give him what he wants. This is an outrageous picture in any context, in any society that we understand. But in the Middle East and in ancient cultures, this sort of behavior wasn't, uh, wasn't necessarily bizarre because in, in, uh, in Middle Eastern culture, taking care of your guests, Middle Eastern people are legendary for it. And if somebody turns up unexpectedly, the first thing they'll do is they'll put on a big feed for them, a big kai. And notice here he doesn't, in the parable, Jesus doesn't say, yeah, um, the man's requesting for a loaf of bread. Remember, he says, my friend's turned up. His friend's going to take three loaves of bread. And so we understand here the culture and the importance and the value that Middle Eastern people put on hospitality. You know, for us, one loaf is more than enough to eat, but three loaves weren't uncommon in the Middle East because uh, bread wasn't just the, you know, the staple diet. But they would take bread and they, they would eat it and they'd break it into pieces and they would eat it with the rest of their meal using it as a dip. And so, um, <laughs> and so you know, the guests, uh, as they broke off these bite-sized pieces, they would use them and they would dip it in their food as they were going out. And so this wasn't an unusual request in Middle Eastern culture. But we look at it today and we say how outrageous that someone would turn up on our doorstep, even our friend, and knock on the door at midnight asking for three loaves of bread to help feed their visitor or their guest. And so if we put it into the context of which Jesus is giving it, we start to get keys to unlock it. And the revealing word in this story and the key word in the story is found in verse 8, which is uh, the word persistence. And it's actually uh, not an accurate translation, the word persistence, although we understand that persistence is involved because the man didn't go away. He continued to knock on that door. He continued to ask for what he needed. But the, uh, the literal translation of the word, this word persistence is actually shamelessness. Because of this man's shamelessness, the friend will get up and give him as much as he needs. And so this brings a new understanding for us in terms of our concept of prayer. In fact, I always used to I always used to marvel in the King James Version, which was the first version of the Bible that I read as a new believer. Uh, it's translated as the word importunity because of the man's importunity, which is the only time this word is used in the whole of the Bible. 
because of this man's importunity or his shamelessness. It literally means his outrageous boldness. And so, you know, we look at, you know, we hear young people today going, oh, shameless. He's shameless. He's got no shame. You know, it's almost like a slang word that's been used these days. And shameless really doesn't describe a good quality, but it can be good or bad depending on the circumstances. And if there are good reasons to feel shame, shamelessness is a bad thing. But if one's cause is good, then shameless insistence is a good characteristic and a good quality. And so this shameless carrying on at the doorstep of his sleeping friend, this was an admirable quality. It was excellent shamelessness. <laughs> and so what Jesus is telling us regarding our prayer relationship is if a grouchy friend can be forced by his friend's shameless insistence to give him what he needs, how much more will our loving God respond to our shameless petitioning for what we need? And so uh, as we look at this, we understand also that Jesus has just given the Lord's Prayer. And so we need to realize that there's already been a foundation building block in this conversation where Jesus said, this is the manner in which you pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. What a great prayer. One of the first things that I memorized as a new believer and I discovered that there was a pattern and a design that was Holy Ghost birthed in the Lord's Prayer. And it's a prayer that I pray nearly almost every day, not the actual prayer itself, but the design and the pattern that is in that prayer. And so what we understand, what I came to understand was that, is that I can have a shameless insistence in prayer with God because I've already built upon the building block of his design and pattern in prayer that he's given to us through the Lord's Prayer. Therefore, I can have shameless approach to the Lord and a boldness, an outrageous boldness in my petitioning and request of the Lord because I've followed through on the divine pattern and design found in the Lord's Prayer as my building block. And now I can come with that shameless insistence in that prayer, knowing that I haven't even, my friend might be a great friend, but he's nothing in comparison to my loving Heavenly Father, who is only too willing to answer my insistent and persistent, outrageous, shameless requests. And so this pattern of the Lord's Prayer, I broke it down years ago into these um, these P's, the paternal, our Father, the priority, praying God's priority, His kingdom to come, and His God's will should always be our priority in life. Praying for provision, all that we need to get through this day. Making sure that, our, that we're pardoned and up to date with the Lord, that we're not leaving, um, you know, we're not leaving the slate full of our sinful behavior, but we're clearing the slate daily and receiving forgiveness as we're willing to forgive others. And praying for power, power to overcome temptation, 
power to overcome the evil one. He's promised to deliver us from the evil one. And finishing off, we started in worship. Our Father, hallowed be your name. And we finish in worship and praise for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. What an absolute fantastic building block of prayer that we can pray through every single day. And as we have that, we can have this this uh, importunity, this shamelessness in prayer, because we're praying according to the divine pattern. And, you know, this is a confidence that that doesn't quit. Um, and Jesus built on top of the, the, the story of the man at his friend's house. And he says, so I want to say to you, so he's building on top of this. He's going, so there's the, there's the conjoint word. So I say to you, in other words, you've heard about this man uh, knocking at his friend's door. And now I want to reaffirm and I want to nail it home. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receive. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. And so in light of this context, we see this uh, language that's compelling, ask, seek, knock, and it shows there's, a, there's an ascending intensity. We start with asking, and then we build on that uh, request for a conscious need that we have. You don't ask unless you've got a conscious need. So we've realized our lack in some area, and we turn that lack into a request and a ask for Lord for help. But then it goes on to say, let's build on the ask and seek denotes a it's an action. It's an action word. It's not just expressing our need for help and asking, but it's getting up and beginning to look around for help. It involves effort. And then finally, knock. You know, this includes asking. This includes acting. But there's a persevering. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep pounding on the door until I begin to see uh, God's answer for us. And I, you know, I, I think to myself, well, obviously Jesus taught this for a reason. I think that reason is, is that we all give up too quickly in prayer. We let things go in prayer. We might come with what we think is an urgent request and an urgent need, but if it's if it's only something that we're praying about once in a week, then maybe it's not as urgent as what we thought, or perhaps we haven't learned the art of that shameless insistence and persistence of keeping on knocking on that door. And it's interesting because the the tense is the present imperative in the in the original language, which literally reads, ask and keep on asking. Knock, sorry, ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock, keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. And so the man in this picture, he's just going to keep knocking until the door is opened and his need and his request is answered. So persistence is an indication of our soul's confidence that we're going to get an answer. If we're not being persistent in prayer, then maybe we're not, we don't have a true picture of the confidence that Jesus wants to give us, that he's going to answer our request, and we can continue to petition and continue to ask, seek, and knock, because we're a people of faith, and faith doesn't give up easily. Faith continues to pound on the door, 
not because of, you know, God, you're going to listen to me because of my meritorious pounding and my works based prayer. Because I, you know, I pray three times a day. Therefore, you should answer me because I'm praying so often. No, that's not the reason we're pounding on the door. We're pounding on the door because we believe God's going to answer. That's faith. And so it's not uh, it's not about works. It's about our faith. And I think about this with Jesus himself. We see many times he prayed before he chose the 12. He went up onto the mountain to pray and he prayed all through the night to, to, to before he chose the 12 apostles on the mountain in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's there and, is, and the Bible says he's asking, seeking and knocking. You know, he's petitioning, you know, could you let this bitter cup be released from me and my responsibility? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And we see his, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And we see all the way through scripture, we see that, you know, Jacob wrestled with the angel at Jabbok. He wrestled all night. And his attitude with the angel in that that time of wrestling with God, he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he didn't. And in the end, the angel he was wrestling with had to zap him on the socket of his leg. And for the rest of his life, he walked with a limp as a result of that encounter with God. But he did not let God go. He prayed through the night. Man, I'm starting to feel convicted when I start reading through the scriptures and seeing these people who just persisted outrageously, shamelessly, holding on to God, wrestling with God through the night. I think of Hannah, who who was barren and couldn't have children, and she pled with God. She begged. She was in passionate prayer, and so much so that the priest Eli thought she was her behavior was so erratic that he actually accused her of being drunk, and she said, I'm not drunk. My Lord, I'm I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I haven't been drinking. I've been pouring out my soul to the Lord, persisting and in intercession to God because I believe that he wants to bless my womb and open my womb. And I'm not going to let him go until he gives me a child. And God responded to her passionate prayer and gave her a godly son called Samuel. You know, Paul talks about a disciple whose name was Epaphras, and he said this about Epaphras. He said, he's always wrestling in prayer for you, Colossians 4.2. Isn't that amazing? He's always wrestling in prayer for you. And that's the kind of prayer mantle that God wants to place on the end-time church, a, a church that's always wrestling in prayer, a church, as the prophetic has come this morning, that's learned how to be still and know that he is God, who's learned how to wrestle in prayer uh, for, for others, to stand in the gap on behalf of others, to stand in the gap on behalf of your guest who's come, who has a need, and beginning to pray on behalf and seek God on behalf of others. And I think of Jesus' example himself, it says in Hebrews 5, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries. Look at that. With loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Jesus was passionate. He cried out to the Father. He was in tears as he prayed. Man, I ask myself, when's the last time I shed tears and intercession for other people. 
man, just let that one sit on you for a little while, because I think there's something in here that the Lord really wants to teach us. And of course, uh, he finishes off with the whole aspect of understanding the fatherhood. Sorry, I'll just nip back there, the fatherhood of God. And before we get into some discussion, we finish this this morning, you know, he, he wants to remind us of the difference between a bad father and a good father. And again, I tell you something, you know, the world is filled with orphans. And by that, I mean people who have been fathered incorrectly or who have never known the love of a father. And as a result of that, they, they, they can't grasp the concept of our heavenly father being a good, good father. And so without that understanding of fatherhood, we act uh, with an orphan heart and an orphan spirit. And Jesus finishes off this whole thing about this concept of being, being prepared to come shamelessly and with outrageous boldness to our father because he's a father of love. He's a father who cares about us and he's a father who wants to answer our prayer. And so he says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? You know, Dad, can I have a fish for lunch? Sure, son, here you go. And the boy puts out his hand, trustingly to his father, only to find that there's a writhing serpent in his hand. You know, what sort of a father would do that? And of course, what Jesus is doing is using the contrast of the evil versus the, the the good true nature of our heavenly father and he says even you as earthly fathers you understand what it is to give good gifts to your children how much more will your heavenly father give the holy spirit to those who ask him in verse 13 and so i i i finish off with this um last verse and I understand that the Holy Spirit is crucial in all of this. He didn't say, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you lots of presents and lots of things to enjoy? He says, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? And the Holy Spirit really unlocks the whole realm of prayer for us. As we build that relationship and receive ongoing infilling of the Spirit as we wait on God, it just unlocks so much of the presence, the power, the persistence and prayer for us, where we begin to see incredible breakthroughs as we persist, as we come shamelessly into that place of prayer. So I want to leave you with that. And I've just got a slide. You might want to take some uh, pictures, take a shot um, just for some discussion. You can, of course, you can talk about anything in your breakout rooms to do with this whole parable of the persistent friend but here's just a few primer questions that you can talk about in your in your group